Welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of of out-of-the-body, but show up ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher, and we are back for CDP3 Part 2. It's a whole weekend class, and so we came back on Sunday at 1 o'clock. The day that we are recording this. Correct. Mm -hmm. That's rare. And uh, we were there early this time, and we ran into our old buddy. We're going to call him Neil. He's the instructor. Yeah, and he taught us a couple classes before, just as Maria had yesterday. Yes, and he gives me an immediate sense of like, him being in control in, yeah. a good, in a good way, not a control freak or something. Yeah, I like him. He's always smartly dressed uh-huh. and wearing like a button-up shirt and dress shoes, and friendly and professional at the same time. I think he yeah. finds a nice balance in I there. think he'd make a good professor. He is well-kempt. Yes. He's not unkempt. Correct. He is double-plus kempt. And this particular session was called Hollow Maturity and Cosmo Ethics. Totally, why not? Let's mash some words together. Yeah, they're so good at that at uh, the International Academy of Consciousness, IAC. So when we got there, I started looking through the books. They have a little like bookstore section. That's a very generous way of stating the (laughs) presence of a bookshelf at the front of the class. (laughs) But there are like five or six books for sale that they have in the office and they just have one display copy. Shortly after we got started, you asked him to just recommend what is the one book yeah. that you should read if you're trying to get into this and really understand what you're all about. What a simple question. <laughs> I'm sure there is a simple answer. Well, this one book here is the latest one written. And really, I would recommend reading this. I mean, it's very large and very thorough. Yeah, he said it's the most in-depth and advanced. I'm like, well, okay. Uh, it's if called, I'm just going to read one, maybe not the most advanced <laughs> one. Yeah. Vibrational and Energy Resonance. It yeah. has a picture of a tuning fork on the front. He said, oh, but I just mean it's comprehensive. It's up to date. But then he starts to recommend every other book every, on the shelf. Literally every other <laughs> book, except the one I own, Projectiology. He did not recommend. Oh, yeah. And he didn't recommend necessarily retrocognition that was prominently displayed on the shelf. Yeah, you're right. And then I asked him about that one. And he's like, oh, that one's good, too. That's for remembering past lives. And then I pointed out that <laughs> it's in two spots on the bookshelf. And in one spot, it's $15. And in one spot, it's $14. And he laughed and said, oh, good awareness there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was funny that uh, you said, what is the one book I should start with? All of these. <laughs> <laughs> But the one that it seems like the room landed on, because other people had read some of them, Mm -hmm. was Demystifying the Out-of-Body Experience. Yes. Which is a big book, but I feel like I could read it. It's like maybe 400 pages, something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that is big. Maybe 300. Maybe it's 100. I don't know. It's readable. We went off on a little rabbit trail because we had our friends back, a woman one, I'm calling her in my notes, and the gentleman to the left. Uh, woman one and the gentleman. Yeah, woman two never showed up this session. She was the one who had been really late the day before. Yeah, so you think. I wonder if she's the same woman who, remember, I think it was in CDP2, that woman who was like, oh, forces are trying to keep me from coming. No. no? Oh, I don't think so. I don't so. think it was the same woman either, but maybe. That would be quite the coincidence because it's been a year and change. That's true. She'd probably remember. I mean, she'd remember us, even though we don't remember her. <laughs> so yeah, it was only four of us in the class today. 
today. Yeah. And uh, woman one. One, Two boys, two girls. Mm Mm-hmm. Nicely balanced there. And she had said that she was really turned on to the IAC when she saw that their motto was question everything and everyone. And then Neil was like, well, that was our motto. We've added some things. Yeah. Well, originally he said it was just question everything. Right. Then he realized- Yeah, well, he said there became this kind of cult of personality around certain individuals who were given a little bit too much credence and authority. Yeah, it became like, oh, well, if Dr. Brown said that, then I'm sure it's true. You don't need to question it. And And rightfully, they corrected course. They added the and everyone. And everyone. Yeah. But I love that their motto starts out with be lucid, period. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just feels bossy. And yet, like, I don't even really know how to follow the order. (laughs) Sure. Well, you know. Uh, Oh, I'll be lucid. Yeah. If you weren't being lucid, that'll snap you right out of (laughs) whatever state you were in. Like if I were asleep and reading the sign? I don't know. So he made some very good noises just about being open-minded and talked about that at length. So. Thumbs up. So on to hollow maturity and cosmoethics. Yes. We hear that this is going to be a more philosophical topic. Some people disagree, but, you know, it's just an important area to discuss as ethics are. And I kind of got excited because I studied philosophy in undergrad and ethics and logic. Those were my uh, emphases. Ooh, your bailiwick. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it was funny. He's telling us that, you know, these are important things to think about, especially now that you're not going to be normal like other people. (laughs) This is kind of funny. And he's like, well, you know, not to say you're still driving and doing normal things, but you're experiencing the world in a totally different way than most of the other population. Right. You're aware of all these other energy levels. You don't experience the world as mundane anymore. I don't know. I kind of bought that. I felt like if I had had a bunch of those experiences, yeah, it would it would be mind opening. Sure, you're woke, and you have all these other people who are, you know, just moving around. <laughs> yeah, not knowing that they can be like you, like me, uh, traveling about the world, going to Paris, etc. Yeah, he kind of compared it later on to someone who's visited space and. Mm. You just, just never be the same again. Yeah, totally. Sure. You start to see how small your problems are, etc. That makes sense. So he laid out the different types of maturity. <laughs> it's so funny, like, as if that's the next step in this conversation. Some of these slides, eventually they come around to what you're talking about, but they seem out of nowhere. Now let's talk about types of maturity. I'll just say in advance, this is a five and a half hour class, mm-hmm. and we went through all of five slides. Yeah, yeah. Dude can talk. So we're already past the little intro slide that said the name of the class. So we've got four slides left to go for the rest of the class. So there are a few types of maturity, Ross. There's the physical maturity. You reach that around age 26. I would call that maybe like a somatic maturity. Sure. Why not? Okay. Why not? What's the somatic? (laughs) Oh, Scientology callback. Oh, well, you could say it is the physiological. Then you have the psychosomatic Okay, which, by the way, is already a word, so that's confusing. Yes. Oh, Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. But that means psychological maturity. And you get there at about the age of 35. Hey, I'm there. Hey, but then he also told us not everyone gets there. In fact, not necessarily even the majority. So I felt like these are the average ages if you turn out to be one of those lucky people who gets there at all. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
everything is attended by qualifiers to let you know, okay, but you know, this is only a general principle. There are many people who get there early or there are people who get there late. Yeah. Okay. We people, get it. Mostly people who never get there. And then examples of all of the above. Then you've got the mental somatic. Or intellectual maturity. You get there at about 50 years old. But a minority of people get there at all. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't give exact numbers, but uh, then he talked at length about this Harvard study over 70 years, like this immense longitudinal study looking at different people. And their happiness levels. Right, happiness and healthiness. And he said, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter so much what you eat. But, of course, it does help to eat a healthy... (laughs) Yes, yes, okay. Everything with qualifiers, but essentially your... Community. Yeah, your your connection to others is what really dictates your healthiness. That's the most important thing. Right, not relying on... A single person, but like on a whole network of people. And then if you're achieving this intellectual maturity around 50 or whatever age it may be, then you start worrying about your legacy and you want to write a book. He kept talking about wanting to write a book Mm -hmm. to share your experiences with others. And then later on, when you come back in another life, maybe you'll find that book and read it and you'll continue your journey. Right. Or maybe you started a nonprofit and then 20 years later, here comes this new fresh intern. Well, actually, she founded that nonprofit, but y'all didn't know. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I liked this. He called what you leave behind a deliverable, <laughs> like uh, uh-huh. if you write a book or found a nonprofit. Yeah, yeah. One. So yeah, it's not just left for posterity and everybody else. It may be for you. For you. Right. Write a book and let yourself know what you're up to. There's also the energosomatic. That's another type of maturity. And that's the result of multiple existences. As is the consciential slash hollow maturity. Yeah, that's confusing because he uses the exact same words on the slide. Result of multiple existences. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. So you can have energosomatic, consciential, and hollow maturity. They're all the same thing. I can't wait till I get there. Now he, it felt like he contradicted Maria. Yes. He said that, We are actually born with pretty high cognition, of course, not as high as we are in the spirit realm, but we remember past lives when we're born. We have OBEs all the time. And then as we get enveloped into the culture, our parents and the people around us, they tamp that down and try to make us live in the quote unquote real world. Right. And that was kind of more of what I would have expected these people to say. This is what you see in so many animated films, like, oh, kids see all these things that parents don't. And if the parents can just learn to embrace their childlike side, then they too will embrace this one and see these wonderful things. Well, and also the stuff about indigo children and crystal children and these kids who have mm-hmm. like psychic abilities. So it seems like yeah. a lot of people in our culture would sign on to that yeah, immediately yeah. and be like, oh yeah, kids know so much and then it gets taken away from them. That does feel, if I just follow my gut and not anything else, I would be like, yeah, that checks out. Like if there were past lives, I would expect mm. kids to be more in tune with them. And then he said that this attunement with spiritual realm comes back toward the end of your life. So he drew this little diagram showing time on the x-axis and spiritual realization and connection on the y-axis. And it started up high, dipped down by the time you were 10 or whatever, stayed low in this trough and then came back up. Toward the end of life. Late years, yeah. Yeah, so when you're quite old and near the end of life, your energetic maturity rises again and you recover some lucidity. Maybe you start to have out-of-body experiences or hints of them. Now, everyone's energy is different. Maybe Mm -hmm. you've run into someone with strong energy before, someone who's really charismatic, or someone who just has so much energy it's turned into ectoplasm. Ectoplasm, it's back. What? 
he said this like this is something we've all seen. Yeah, well, they mentioned it in the previous course. Oh, I know. Yeah. But I mean, I've never seen anyone with ectoplasm. And <laughs> right, and again, they're taking terms that we associate with other things, like psychic mediums with a bunch of cheesecloth that's been right. painted, and you know that's what we think of the when Fox we hear, sisters. Yeah, when we hear ectoplasm, and they're talking about this dense realization of psychic energy that kind of enters the physical world. But it doesn't even have to be like this visible ghostbustery kind of stuff. It can be like he was talking about people who have just so much raw energy that they stop electronics from working or their watches break or they even cause accidents. And so, yeah, we're delving into these very strong paranormal claims. Yeah, definitely. So he says more energetic maturity causes more OBEs, more retrocognitions, but... Having these maturities doesn't mean you're evolved. You could use them unethically. Yes. Like the charismatic person who, you know, uses that to manipulate people. Yeah, and that's a good example. I wrote down two examples from my personal life. Oh, okay. I bet you could guess them, but I'll show them to you and here. Think in your mind. It's two people. I have my guess. Yep. (laughs) Those are the exact people. (laughs) Amazing. We're on the same wavelength. Oh, yeah. One of them is, we've mentioned Milo. One is Milo. Indeed. My ex-boyfriend. You can go back and listen to every episode, figure out who Milo is. Yeah, so he said, use your maturity in the name of evolution. All right, will do. In the name of evolution. Whoa, 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 whoa. I think I just heard something. It was me. It's me, Carrie, future Carrie. Yeah, what were you saying? Um, I just wanted to chat with you. Past Ross. It sounded like, whoa, 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 whoa. But those aren't words. <laughs> well, it's like, whoa, but a bunch of times. Oh, repeated. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was subtle, but I heard it. <laughs> I just wanted to see how you're doing, how you have grown as a person since we recorded this episode last October. You know, I'm doing all right. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, keeping busy, but right. life's good. What's the main thing you've learned between last October and today, which is in August of 2018? A bunch of German vocabulary, I Oh, guess. right. Okay, cool. You've been doing Duolingo. Me too. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. See, you are quite aggressively going after Spanish there. Oh, do you see my score going up? Yeah, it shows like your number <laughs> of XP... All right. Points. Okay. And, uh, like, oh, that care- maybe I need to step it up a bit. <laughs> oh, okay. Just do the bare minimum. I haven't been looking very much. I did 200 XP in one day, and I was like, take that, Carrie. See, I don't even know what that. I, I, I haven't noticed this. I'm, this. C- I'm competing against <laughs> someone who's completely unaware of this competition. <laughs> that sounds like me and Danny Barwella on Fitbit. He just whoops my ass every single time. Just <laughs> like, even okay, try. you want to do it again? Thing. All right. You just uh, you, well, you can do that to me in Duolingo. Anyway, out-of-body experiences. Out-of-body experiences. That's right. We just interrupted ourselves. This is us from 2018. We've mm-hmm. learned a lot. What have you learned? Uh, la maleta is the suitcase. Oh, I didn't know that one. See? Well, there you are. There's my two years of high school Spanish did not prepare me for this oh, conversation. Oh, man. I've lost all of my Spanish from high school. Yeah, I still retain quite, Pretty a, quite much. a bit. Pretty much. Anyway, (laughs) the point is... We're interrupting here because we've got exciting news. Yes, we do. A few pieces of of exciting news. Yeah, so this Saturday... Mm -hmm. Again, this is us from 2018. So we're talking about this Saturday, August August 18th. 18th, We'll be having a live stream 
on Facebook, you can come to facebook.com forward slash onrec. O-N-R-A-C. And see us, as we promised, in our Max Fund Drive. Mm-hmm. We said if you got us to 1,500 new and upgrading members, we would watch Scientology TV, the Scientology Network, for three hours mm-hmm. and do a live commentary track while they show us whatever they're going to show us. Right. And we'll do a drinking game along with it. But we'll tell you the rules the day of. One of our listeners looked up. You can actually see in advance what they'll be showing. I oh, yeah. I didn't even realize that. So I was just Oh, like, yeah. I've been to the website. We'll see what they show us. We'll see how many banjos we get. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a drinking game out of this. We'll figure out the exact parameters of what we'll be drinking. But follow along. Watch follow with along, us. Follow along. Have some alcohol at the ready. If you alcohol. If you don't, that's cool. Drink something else. Whatever drink you're something. into. Something else. Jesus. Drink a hot drink. And then we'll be watching the chat as well. So uh, we'll be interested to hear your comments and suggestions and ideas. Maybe we'll answer some questions. Precisely. At 10 a.m., we'll be starting Pacific time to 1 p.m. Pacific time. So three hours. Watch it whenever you want. Let's be honest. It's going to be up there on Facebook even afterwards. So, But you want to be there. But you want to watch it live. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I have a bit of news as well. Ooh, what's your news? Have you ever heard of Australia? It's the made-up continent that NASA pretends is there so that they can keep talking about the globe Earth, which isn't a real thing. NASA, they're a bunch of liars. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to travel to Australia and see if it's really there or if it's just a mirage. Oh, so you're trying out an extraordinary claim. Exactly. And I'm doing it this October 13th and 14th at the Australian Skeptics Convention. And while I'm there... I am going to give a talk. I figure as long as I'm going there to check if the continent's there, I might as well impart some wisdom. Yeah. So I'm going to go to that conference. They were sweet enough to invite me. And if you're in Australia and listening to this, you and should you come exist. out to Sydney. Oh, yes. And yes, you should exist if you want to come. Which is But o- not Sydney, the girl from Flat Earth that you didn't like. Ugh. <laughs> That's a heavy eye roll. We'll have more announcements coming up. Exciting things are happening. I know you're all waiting for that national tour. It's building. It's getting hot. It's getting ready. The temperature's rising. It's going to happen. Okay, so what are we going to talk about today? Cosmo ethics. That is a set of principles that apply in any realm, dimension, state, whatever. Yeah, so it's like physics where it doesn't matter if you're doing science in Mexico or Sweden or on the planet Venus. It'll be very hot, but you'll still be observing the same laws of physics. Right. And And they may look a little different because you have a lot of different parameters to take into account. But still, it applies everywhere. So yeah, I kind of like this way of setting up these cosmoethics. So they apply in all times and all places. And as we will learn shortly, it doesn't matter whether you are you in your current life or in a previous life where maybe you were an opposite sex or gender or in a previous life where you were an alien on a different planet or in a previous life where you were a lower evolved creature like a ground worm. So what are you saying? Your karma follows you regardless or? No, these ethics apply no matter oh, right. yes. where you are anywhere along the spectrum. And it's a great unifier. So, you know, using these cosmo ethics can help us relate to any other consciousnesses. Mm-hmm. That is the base unit of these ethics, not just other people, but to, other consciousnesses. Right. And to fill out that idea of consciousnesses, he said to consider anyone you run into first and foremost a consciousness and he said any person any animal like that okay mm-hmm. and then he said any tree oh wait mm. yeah yeah mm. oh mm. that opens up a different can of worms and probably the can of worms as well 
and there was another bullet point there because it's saying things that make sense, like always prefer the lesser of two evils. Sure. Okay. I mean, already my brain's going like, okay, but when you get to two evils, you may have actually deceived yourself that there are only two. You know, all there's because always Carrie thinks a million counterexamples, <laughs> as do I, but maybe not as uh, sharply. Oh, thank you. Maybe. <laughs> I think just mostly having studied philosophy, I just know all these conversations, you feel like you got to it, and then you can think of 30 ways you did Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. And we'll kind of touch on topics where that would apply. And then on the same bullet point list, it says, take everything until the last hollow karmic consequence. The worst worded <laughs> sentence in the world. It's, there's actually a good concept hiding in that sentence. Yeah. But, but even the concept, even when I understood it, I was like, that sentence still doesn't really make oh, sense to oh me. Oh, no. Yeah. It's a useless sentence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the idea was basically like, if you know something is right, don't quit, even if the people in your life don't approve of it, even if you stop being rewarded for doing the right thing. Right. Keep on keeping on. Like, don't think about just the proximate causes, but think about what's really being done. So somebody could uh, do a good thing because they want to get recognition. Right. Or they're going to get a reward or fame. But what's the real reason it's a good thing to do? Follow right. that chain of <laughs> hollow karmic consequences until the final thing that's being achieved and that is the true goal right right and if they're doing it now for the wrong reasons well they're still working towards that right end goal yeah and then when you boil it down to what's the actual advice here it's like don't quit don't quit doing the right thing yeah but instead or, we get take everything until the last holocarmic <laughs> consequence yeah. or you could say like keep the ultimate goal in mind sure yeah but uh, they chose take everything until the last holocarmic consequence and come on so the other guy in class poor guy like Razan is like I, okay i'm trying to figure out this one uh okay can you explain <laughs> take everything and they I'm try so to glad do that he said okay that. can you explain holocarmic consequence okay <laughs> just totally not understanding and Bless him not for getting asking. any clarification i feel like there's got to be one person from this organization, who's to blame for this? I wanted to ask today, like, so who came up with all these exactly? I things? almost asked that too. I want to know, like, yeah. who do we need to have a talk with about <laughs> obfuscation? <laughs> you yeah, are making I wonder this. If it's Waldo v... Waldo Vieira, who wrote Projectiology. He sounds a lot like Geraldo. Rivera in my head, by the way. <laughs> it does. He is candidate number one in my mind. He's my prime suspect. Yeah. He's not making things easy to understand no. here. So the other principle of cosmoethics that we haven't mentioned is apply everything that you know and are able to understand. Yep. Okay. And the opposite of cosmoethics is self-corruption. <laughs> oh, that's not. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I want something worse. Yeah. That's the self-corruption theme song. Yeah. I did like his explanation of how it applies universally, like physics. And he said something that actually felt kind of new and interesting to me and resolved a problem I had had. Because he talks about how there's these karmic balances. How if you steal from somebody or you hit them, you've just kind of contracted a debt. A debt to them, A karmic yeah. debt. But then when you do something good, it's a positive balance. Mm -hmm. But I always then wonder, okay, well, who's keeping this balance? Right. Who's got the balance sheet? Who's tallying this across lives? 
And that seems like a really hard thing for me to swallow. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole karma idea, I think it makes more sense just to look at life in terms of things happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some are good, some are bad, and some are just chaotic or neutral or whatever. But what he said was that, like in physics, if you push someone off of a ledge, they fall because of gravity. We don't blame gravity. It's the thing that happens when particles are in a position where nothing's supporting them. In the same way, these karmic laws don't have anyone overseeing them. There's no ledger. It's just the way things are. It's the fabric of reality. And I thought, oh, that's a cool explanation, at least. I felt like that's the explanation I've always been given of karma. But I mean, it, it was well put. Yeah. For sure. I've always just wondered where the bookkeeping is done on this. Mm-hmm. And felt like there had to be. I guess I associate people who believe in karma with people who don't believe in like a god in the sky. Mm-hmm. So I just automatically like minus that from the equation. I still don't feel like that's a satisfying answer. Sure. but You don't now believe it. Right. But it's a cool way to approach it. And then he was talking about balance and balance and how this all balances out, even if not within a lifetime, then across lifetimes. He would only focus on positive examples. It always works out for good in the end. And I said, okay, well, then does that mean that we can have this net positive balance or is it net zero? Right. And then he didn't answer you. And then I tried to drill in on him about it. (laughs) Right. Yeah, he was avoiding that because he only wanted to talk about good things, positive things. But I said, is it like Anakin Skywalker was prophesied to bring balance to the force? And he did by being a bad guy. Right. Or can you just keep your surplus? And he said, yeah, you can. And if you do that long enough, you won't be reincarnated anymore. You're free of the physical body. You're sent on to maybe be a demigod because you're pure spirit. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So he said, once you know the rules, you're responsible for them. But intention matters. If you're not aware of the rules or you're an animal who can't yet understand some really advanced rule, that's not held against you. Right. But kind of at the state that we're all at, we're all responsible for these rules because just like gravity, we get it at this point. Probably. Yeah. He also said that when you inspire people... You can actually set off kind of this pyramid scheme of karma where it's like, (laughs) I inspire Ross, Ross goes and inspires four people to do something good. Now I get get karma from all five of those people. Yeah, you said pyramid scheme and everybody laughed at that. (laughs) So then he compared ethics and morals. Right, saying that they are different things. Ethics is like the bigger vision Got of it. it. Okay. Whereas morals are like specific rules we've all agreed to follow by culture to culture. Ethics are things like truth, justice, really big concepts that presumably we could all agree on. He was talking about kind of these previous moral systems, mostly these rules and forms of don'ts, don't do this, don't do that, talking about like the Ten Commandments. And all of that was about maintaining order and exerting mm-hmm. pressure and monitoring behavior because there's no way to know people's true intent. So you just right. exact revenge on them if they do the wrong thing. We're still all these evolved monkeys. We have these natural urges. Which then immediately made me think, oh, okay, so does he believe in, in scientific evolution? Because if they believe in evolution, do we have a problem with this whole reincarnation cycle? Right. Yeah. Maybe we don't. I don't know. And then I got lost thinking about that and had to come back. I, w- I was kind of, <laughs> we were probably wandering off in the same little uh, <laughs> mental soma. You. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> They're saying that we used to be these simpler organisms. So if we've been jumping consciousness as TikTok and, you know, working our way up and that's been driving biological evolution, uh, our improvement yeah. as energetic beings. Uh-huh. I don't know if improvement's the word, but... 
sure advanced Grat- evolution yeah. they call yeah, it evolution that's true yeah i i didn't know quite what the implication there was yeah and i remember trying to ask that at a previous session and not getting a solid answer Oh, you asked if they will lead to an evolution? Yeah, or just like how does the presence of our energetic bodies tie to our evolutionary history? When did Mm. they come in? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I've never gotten a straight answer on that. I mean, it helps me to know that, okay, the other animals do have psychosomas, but was there a point where there was no humanity, but there were still all these psychosomas? And I don't know, the gorilla would just die and the psychosoma would go into the mix and presumably wouldn't have too much karmic debt? I don't know. Yeah, and five, ten years later, well, you know, probably been in some nasty battles with some other gorillas. Yeah, I'm sure there are unethical gorillas. If you know an unethical gorilla, please email us. See something? Say something. (laughs) We learned that there have been philosophers through all ages and all cultures, the people who stop and ask, well, why? Why do we do this? Why do we have these rules? True. We also learned that there's no way to learn cosmoethics just right away. There is no book for it. It's kind of, I don't know, would you say it's trial and error? It's a process of discovery, I think he said. Yeah. Yeah, he he made some sort of analogy to a smoke detector and how it's, oh. it's like radiation. Yeah, that was a really weird roundabout example. So he was saying with gravity, it's something that's immediately apparent. We're always aware of it. You can't escape it. It kind of governs your life all the time. But radiation is a far subtler force, but it's there. So you can be exposed to small amounts and have effects later and not know where to pin them to. And then his example is a smoke detector, which which seems like a weird- A radioactive material in it. Yeah. Americium, I I believe. And he's like, but then later you get cancer and you don't know it was your smoke detector. And I was like, we don't need to fear monger over smoke detectors. Yeah, right. Yeah, I thought, oh, this is a really circuitous way to make your point. But the analogy was supposed to be to cosmoethics. So ethics, likewise, are like emitted out into the universe and you might not sense or understand them, but they're there. I think that was the idea. But if you take the right course in Culver City, you can be aware of them. (laughs) You will. These five people all get it. And he blanketed all of this. I like this term because I felt it was finally one that kind of made sense. He called it cosmic utilitarianism. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's what it is. It's essentially just determining the best for the most people, kind of evaluating these ethics in terms of their outcomes. Well, he said that one of the rules was like cosmic utilitarianism. Other ones weren't. Oh, that's true. But but I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. And so then he brought up the trolley dilemma. Yes. Everyone who took philosophy 101 has probably heard this dilemma. But he gave such easy versions of the trolley dilemma. I kept wanting to be like, there are much harder versions of the trolley dilemma. Oh, sure. Well, he was nodding to the fact that it can be easily complicated when you start adding people like, oh, this person's a friend of yours. Now we've added them on the side with fewer people. That's not hard. And this person may save many other lives. Uh, Yeah, that one's a little harder. The hard ones are things like there's five people at the end of the train track And you can push a really heavy person in front of the trolley, thereby involving this person who never meant to be involved and kill them instead of the five. And most of us like immediately bristle at the idea of like, no, volunteerism is so important to us. You opted into a risky situation by riding a train and this person walking did not opt in. And even if this person says, go ahead, push me, then it's still the involvement of us actually like hurting someone directly rather than pulling a lever. That feels different to us as well. Which by the way, 
is why people don't immunize their kids. So it's actually a very dangerous impulse. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It it causes us to not be rational. And it's a a glitch in our moral reasoning. I think I may have mentioned this before on the podcast, but there is this website called moralmachine.mit.edu. Oh, yeah. We both took this. Yeah. MIT has been working on, you know, how do we program these self-driving cars to handle situations like this because this will very likely arise in the real world where this programming has fractions of a second to decide do I run over this mother and her baby in the carriage or do I slam all of the people in this car into a wall and kill them instead? Mm-hmm. And so, as Or it, harder, they put a dog in front of your car. It's terrible. For Carrie, this is much harder. So they have this website and you can start judging there and they'll give you little scenarios and it just gets more and more complex. Mm-hmm. And then you start just like roiling about in your mind thinking, okay, wait, well, what did I say in the previous one? I feel like I'm contradicting that now. And so Uh, It's a fun exercise to put yourself through. Equally fun. Put it on Facebook and watch your friends drive themselves insane trying to show you why they think that (laughs) it was misdesigned. (laughs) God. So this is intuitive, but still was nice to hear spelled out this way. He also said, sometimes you might emotionally be the adult in a situation. You know that the other person in the conflict is basically a child when it comes to that issue. Like... Maybe they've had some trauma in the past or whatever, and they're bad at communicating, but you're good at communicating. Well, you should be holding yourself to that adult higher standard and not just say, oh, well, since they said mean things, I get to also. Now, you might be thinking, this is all really nice, Ross and Carrie. What does this have to do with out-of-body experiences? (laughs) That's a good question. Yeah. So I think the point of all this is that we will eventually be interacting with all these beings on other planes. And so we better have a codified ethical system system in advance, I think. But that was never spelled out. For sure. But I think uh, implied. Uh, He spent a long time here talking about science and yeah real good quotables yeah made some really good utterances about science and said that it's all about learning from mistakes Uh, cool yeah that's right yeah no that's a very good summation of science but then he kind of went on this not ran but Mm -hmm. he was talking about scientists who fail to challenge their assumptions and become close-minded and so he jumped into psi phenomena I think he had talked about this in the previous CDP, but he was talking about... the Princeton Paralab. Exactly, and how other scientists had just rejected what they said. And he quoted one scientist as saying, even if it was true, I wouldn't believe it. And I said, who? Who was that? (laughs) And he said, oh, it was like someone who was nominated for a Nobel Prize. He made this face too, like, oh, I'm not going to out them by saying their name. That's kind of how I read it. Was oh, like, I read it as, well, let's just I don't say, know who it is. Okay. I felt like it was like, well, let's just say they were a Nobel nominator. But then he said that a Nobel laureate uh, did sign on to these things, but now he's castigated. Again, and he won the prize. And again, it was very anonymous. I'm thinking like, who is this person? <laughs> who are these people? Yeah. One of the things he talked about today and he's talked about before is that random number generator experiment where yes. like a bunch of people prayed over some machine or meditated into some machine and, and tried were to able change. to affect its output to give you more ones than zeros right and even mm-hmm. when he told us about this last time he said it was like point oh 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 two percent or something this time he said it was very significant yeah right so i mean like fine cool repeat it yep repeat it 
and define in advance exactly when the effect is going to happen mm-hmm. yep. and then make predictions, do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a little confused for a second. I don't think this was his fault. I think I just didn't follow. But he said something about the prime directive vis-a-vis Star Trek. Yes. And which for all of you who don't know, which is the other six people (laughs) who (laughs) listen to the show and are like me and don't watch all that much Star Trek, I do know what the prime directive is. It's basically like, don't meddle in their business, this other culture that's like creating their own world, like don't interfere in it. So I thought he was kind of saying like, we agree with that idea. But then he was also talking about interfering about, you know, if you see like two beings that are in trouble you can help one especially if one's being hurt by the other and i was like well we're just talking about interference now yeah when you asked him to clarify that i i felt he was saying that you can interact personally with someone and interfere with them and and saying really you have to by being immoral being you are interfering but you shouldn't be changing the culture of a larger group of beings i think that's kind of where he landed. I guess at some point you'll have the opportunity and you have to choose not to. <laughs> yeah. He never gave us a situation in which that would happen. I guess maybe if I you're s- a demigod. I can think I of know. a specific culture we all shot down in the 1900s because it had run amok. Nazi Germany. They had run amok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is for So sure. sometimes you do need these like external interferences. But then when I asked my question, he said, yeah, I mean, we're here to interfere. Like... <laughs> Being an ethical person in part means interfering with things you weren't necessarily invited into, but just be wise about what scale you're doing that at. Yeah, I, I like that quote. He said, helping others is interfering. We're here to interfere. Yeah. Okay. It's like, all right, yeah. take a stand, man. This is where another slide came up where he laid out a bunch of aspects of maturity and immaturity, and this sparked conversation for a long time. So the chart is titled Extra Physical, Maturity versus Immaturity. In the maturity category, we have rationality, the mental soma. Okay. In immaturity, we have emotionality, the psychosoma. All right. Okay. Cool. In the maturity category, we have scientificism. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why did you make up that word? Surprising on two levels. (laughs) Yeah, right. They're kind of glorifying... Being scientific as being mature. And also a surprising spelling. But why scientificism? (laughs) Okay. I'm guessing they'd say scientificism. Scientificism. Nope. Wow. Okay. Nothing? No, it's in the Oxford English Dictionary. What's what's the history? Scientificism. Okay. Its earliest use was the mid-19th century. It's rarely used for its first definition, but that definition is language that is regarded as characteristic of scientists or scientific writing. And then the second definition is belief in or advocacy of science and the scientific method. Okay, fine. Yep. And then immaturity, as opposed to that, is mysticism. I've heard of that. Yeah, that was surprising to see that down under immature. Yeah. Because this feels like a mystical place. Right. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. And eventually, the other woman attending the class does call that out and says, hey, what's up with bashing mysticism? He said, "Um, it's good to explore mysteries, but you don't want to add mysticism to things that don't need it. Don't jump to paranormal explanations. Be skeptical even of your own experiences. And an example he gave was someone who sees a being of light in one of their OBEs and then is like, it was the most bright being in the universe. It must have been Buddha. And then you have to ask them, well, how do you know that? So- 
That's all fair. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Then uh, he says that maturity, one example of that is cosmoethics as opposed to self-corruption. We've learned that. Oh, you know- wait, hold on. Self-corruption. Appropriate. Universalism is more mature than sectarianism. Okay. That makes sense. Ah, assistantiality is more mm. mature than egocentrism. Hmm. Which means assisting people? Yeah, why can't you just say helping others? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Service. Assistantiality. <laughs> Come on. All right. Clarification task is more mature than consolation task. And the explanation of this is fine, but boy, it doesn't seem explained well on the slide. Yeah. And Um, he tells us, no, you do still need to consult people sometimes, but it's more important to clarify. Yeah. Teach, give them the ability to provide for themselves. So if it's someone that you're often consoling, like maybe give them tools and instruction on how to make that part of their lives better. Yeah, I just still don't know if I would call that immaturity, but okay. Right. <laughs> so immaturity, you have responsibility, okay. Whereas in immaturity, you have victimization. Which rightly, people were kind of like, uh... That's where he included a long explanation of that saying, right. I'm not saying there are no such things as victims. There are. Or that we should blame victims. We shouldn't. But even if you are, are a victim and some people aren't you know and they need to realize that but even if you are then you want to move towards more responsibility Responsibility. as possible yeah yeah easy thing to say really hard to define once you actually get into the situation sure in maturity you have polykarma as opposed to many karma ego karma sure we don't need to explain that right yeah poly means many ego means me good then you have active versus passive Right, okay. And determination versus accommodation. You want to be calling the shots. Got it. So the guy next to me pipes up and he says, you know, I went to the Monroe Institute, which is a similar organization to this one, and I merged consciousnesses with a levitating alien. (laughs) Had a download. It was positive, but it also left me worried about being possessed. Yeah, just real... Cool, calm yep. way to share this info. Yeah. And uh, Neil just nodded along like, oh, yep, totally reasonable, normal question. Mm-hmm. So we learned that all of these aspects of maturity are easy to understand intellectually, but by studying, by practicing, we can make them part of ourselves viscerally, make them part of our response Right. It was already 317 and I really wanted lunch. Oh yeah, you were hungry. Oh man, oh, I was so hungry. I was feeling tired. Yeah. And this felt like we'd been spending a really long time pouring over all of these long lists and I was like, I'm I would be stifling yawns and Mostly I just kept feeling like you're giving a lot of examples and none of them virtually none of them take place during an OBE. Mm-hmm. Which seems to be the whole point. Like, give me an example where, like, the helpers are telling you to do X, but you should do Y. Like, that would help me ground this. The session felt like kind of the philosophy of Neil, and he had mm-hmm. lots of great quotables and takeaways, and he'd thought things out thoroughly, but it was more like life advice. I mean, I assumed it was from somewhere above him, but... But, you know, all of the examples, I think, are ones that he has cold and that are favorites of his. He certainly wasn't working from a notebook or anything. He was just kind of uh, saying all of this off the top of his head. We then talked about universalism and how it's so easy for us in our bodies to identify with our nationality or our gender or all these other pieces of identification. But we need to think of ourselves first and foremost as consciousnesses. consciousnesses. 
consciousnesses. I, I feel like they can't have any word shorter than four syllables. <laughs> he also told us to try an exercise that I've thought about doing before and have never done, hmm. which is to write down all your activities for a week and really study how many hours you devote to each one. Yeah, yeah. Because you might say, the most important thing in my life is my family. And then you look at your list and you realize like, oh my God, I spent 40 times as much time on social media as I did with my family. Right, yeah. And that's really telling and can help you restructure your priorities. Good way to take measure. Great advice. Don't know why it's in an OBE class, but it is good advice. Well, you said that you can also add into that mix the time that you spend doing out-of-body exercises. He did, but only after the one guy asked about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he did say that he does preparatory exercises two to three times a week, and he does the velo at least 15 times a day. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. You know, I guess you could probably just be typing at your computer and kind of yeah. having this energy coursing just up and vibrating down vibrating all over. Yep. Keep that vibrational energy going. Yeah. At this point, he finally closed down the slides and you could see like the PowerPoint uh, getting out of presentation mode. I was like, we have spent two and a half hours looking at five slides. <laughs> so he, he said that we'd get a short break, but then we were back to do these first rounds of exercises. He also gave us another good thing we could do, which is to make a list of five to ten strengths and weaknesses in us personally. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's good advice, Neil. That was weird. Like, I almost thought he was going to have us write them down right then and there. Yeah. 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 And then the five to ten, and he was trying to find a nice way to say bad things about yeah, ourselves. Yeah, weaknesses. He said, yeah, uh, defects, things that hold you back. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the euphemism there. So, okay. So if you all feel inspired, you can write down your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, and we will not be collecting them. No, <laughs> give them to your spouse. Speaking of spouses, it was cute. He was talking about how apparently his wife is very much- Really into this. Yeah, an out-of-body experiencer. So I wonder if they met through one of these- I assume so. Uh, meetings. Then again, he said he had an out-of-body experience club in high school yes, that he helped uh, run. So guy's been doing it for a long time. But he also said his wife used to have more OBEs before she met him. So she's obviously into it. And now he's a snorer. Yeah. So she has fewer. She said she'll be lifting up out of her body and then all of a sudden he'll like turn over on his side and she'll smack him. Yeah. It was pretty cute. Yeah. So we came back after peeing and we did our energy exercises. We've done this one before. Yes. Facial clairvoyance. Ah, of course. Facial clairvoyance. There, there were a couple pieces to this. Yeah, we did like a exteriorization. We're sitting in our chairs and we all start, you know, emanating energy outside of us. And then we did a focused exteriorization out of our fronto chakra. So that's the third eye. And so you wanted to pulse energy out of there. So I was like an energy unicorn for a while. It was pretty cool. It's hard for me to do the pulsing. I can definitely push out the energy, mm -hmm. but it just stays going out. I can't. It's, it's hard for me to like stop it and pulse it. Yeah, and stop I, it. I have to bring it to a conclusion and then, okay, new wave of yeah. energy I'm sending out. But I'd yeah. rather just keep doing it. I don't know if that's against the rules. Mm, I don't know. Don't think they're going to call you on it. Is that against Cosmo ethics? <laughs> yeah, right. You need alternating current. Then we did the facial clairvoyance exercise. Yeah, again, though, I think this made no, maybe we'd done it with Neil before. Well, whoever we've done it before with, we were doing it with Neil this time. We stare at his face mm -hmm. 
and in near blackness, but not quite. And the first thing he suggested was you could look at my earlobe, or and I was like, I'm looking at your earlobe. <laughs> so I stared at his earlobe. I couldn't see his earlobe, so I chose his left eye. Okay, yeah, this is you know very dim lighting now, so he's kind of sitting there in the dark, and we've all got our eyes just slightly open. He wants you to keep them mostly closed, and yeah, I'm looking. At that earlobe. And, and I'm looking at that left eye. Sure enough, over time, uh, the facial features kind of disappear. And a white light kind of appears around his body. Yeah, like you get halo. that little halo. Because like if you stare at any one person against a background long enough, you're- Or book or chair. Right, right. Your, your mind will start to add in the inverse of that. And one of the tricks to this is that you don't really- focus totally on the area you're looking at you kind of let your your eyes zone out so to speak Mm -hmm. and then you're paying attention to the periphery without looking at the periphery right when you do that like at least for me the face fills in really really dark Mm -hmm. and you get this glowing outline and his face when it turned dark and the way he was angled he looks like abe lincoln and i was so excited i was like oh i can say like maybe you're the reincarnation of abe lincoln that's what i saw (laughs) also for whatever reason i was getting kind of waves of just magenta coloration. Huh. So yeah, I'd be kind of looking at the scene and all of a sudden, I don't know, blood would flow through my head or something. I would see a wave of magenta color and then it would go away and then it would come back. That was cool. What definitely happens for me is that every time I blink, my eyes kind of fix themselves, right? And they're like, oh no, let's see this normally again. So yeah. every time I would blink, oh, there's Neil again. And let's then fuzz it would, this out. Then it would fuzz out and then I'd have to blink again. Yeah, this is a kind of exercise where I have a hard time turning off that portion of my mind that's thinking, oh, there's just weird things that happen when you yeah. stare at things in the dark. Yeah, eyes are weird, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're exposing the, the strange optical settings of our brain. There are a couple of famous illustration illusions like the green and black U.S. flag that you can oh, stare yeah. at and then you look at a white wall and you see the flag in red, white, and blue. And then when you don't look away, then you get these weird superimpositions of one on top of the other. And that's mm-hmm. what we were experiencing. So we did that and then we did the velo again and uh, the absorption. So that's the opposite of the exteriorization. That's where with absorption, you're pulling energy from the room into yourself And I think I got pretty distracted for both of those. My mind just kept wandering off to other things. Now, to clarify, we closed our eyes at this point. Yes. I think I heard the other gentleman starting to snore again. (laughs) Oh, no. So during this VLO, I just felt like this warm bliss feeling that sometimes I'll get to in exercises like this. And then he said, instead of saying, like, internalize the energy in this room, he said, Think about something that has a good energy to you or something like that. Oh, I didn't get that. So I thought about Farm Sanctuary and I pictured that and soaked in the energy there. And I don't know. I I was like, am I doing this wrong? But I don't think you can do it wrong. (laughs) And then we were done and we went to Chipotle. Yeah, it's finally break time. And I wasn't even hungry. I I was so hungry. I had food on the way there, but I went and ate with you. Yes, you did. We got Sofritas. If yes. you haven't had the Chipotle Sofritas, yes, sir, or ma'am, mm. it was good. Or a, or or genderless person. I'm a big fan of the Sofritas. My favorite way to eat tofu. Oh yeah, they're really good. Here's a secret about Chipotle. It's not a secret. It's on the menu, but no one ever orders the crunchy tacos, and their crunchy tacos are really good. Mm-hmm. All right, good. tasty. A little bit but of a mess, but tasty. Real good. While we're out eating. Maybe our listeners would be interested in some other educational or maybe just cultural 
shows that they could listen to. Yeah, or comedy. Where would they find such a thing? They could go to MaximumFun.org. Oh, what kind of shows do they have there? We just, comedy and culture and but, education. But give me like a specific example. Oh, I get you, I get you. Uh, listen to this. Hello, I'm Oliver Wong, DJ, scholar, and journalist. And I'm Morgan Rhodes, music supervisor and stiletto devotee. And we host Heat Rocks, a podcast where we invite our favorite musicians, writers, and scholars to talk about the albums that have changed their lives. Morgan, what exactly is a heat rock? It's a record that's like hot fire, combustible. Basically, just a really, really good album. We've taken a deep dive into Nigerian funk from the 70s. He kind of had like a bad reputation in in town as just being like a sketchy dude. (laughs) And he was just making music that for thousands of miles around him, he was the only person doing anything like that. 1980s teen comedy soundtracks. This soundtrack always felt the same to me as like when I would find a a great blazer at a thrift store that I could, I was like, oh, this is going to be me now. We've talked about Prince, Boys to Men, Kendrick Lamar, and everything in between. Heat Rocks, every Thursday here on Maximum Fun. Mm, Yeah, that's good. That sounds good, right? Maximum Fun. Yeah. So when we come back to the room, Mm -hmm. the gentleman and the woman are talking. Yes. And she's saying... That she remembers being abducted by aliens. But she only saw the interior of the craft, never the exterior, so she doesn't know for sure. And now she's wondering if it was just an out-of-body experience, which I don't even know what that would clarify for her. And the guy's just listening and nodding because, you know, he merged consciousnesses with the levitating alien, so he gets it. Yep, yep, yep. He's been to the Monroe Institute. speaking his language. Yeah, this is one of those conversations where I'm not joining in, but I am eagerly listening to you definitely. Yeah, we're both there taking notes. Yeah, we are both, I think, pretending to take notes on what had already happened when actually taking notes about this moment now. (laughs) Uh, And then Neil came back in and he heard us talking about, or them, talking about the Monroe Institute. And he started kind of giving his opinion on this oh i asked him oh that's right you were trying to uh, sow the seeds of dissent <laughs> no oh, i just wondered do if they, they were do they disagree with the international academy of consciousness <laughs> i just wondered if they were different at all mm-hmm. and no I there thought... was i saw the glimmer in your eye when you said disagree. <laughs> well, I thought if i just said is it the same then he'd feel like he had to defend his company oh, okay. so i just said like oh, are there ways they disagree he was clearly very familiar with the different you know figures teachers there so he's mentioning a lot of their names and their various workshops and said that they had even invited one of those guys to speak at the IAC because it's good to have different perspectives and sometimes they'll even try to invite wildly different ideas there so pretty cool Mm -hmm. yeah as we're all sitting down again and we roll out our yoga mats because we know an exercise is coming and we've put away the chairs yep yep He tells us that one thing we can do is mental saturation. Yes. And this is saturating your mind with the expectation that OBEs are coming. These are techniques he's now giving us on how to prompt OBEs. Different tools you can use to get yourself in the right state. So this mental saturation, you just focus on a sentiment like peace or light. Sounds kind of childish, he said, but can be a good way to tune into holothocene. See, I would have thought tune into the mental soma, but no, apparently not. Holothocene. Okay, sure. He said you can use repetition like a mantra Mm -hmm. to get yourself into the headspace. So it could be something like, 
I'm going out of the body. I'm going out of the body. I'm going yeah. out of the body. Yeah, I think say it consistently. He would say he'd write it down. Like mm-hmm. he said he would write it down feverishly, like 10, 20 minutes of just writing that over and over again. I'm going out of body. And it made me picture in The Shining where she walks up to the <laughs> typewriter. And she realizes it's just page after page oh, of yeah. all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Oh, right. no, he's gone crazy. <laughs> he hasn't been writing his book at all. Yeah. So he also said you can say it as you write it over and over. It's best to do this before bed, but you can do it anytime. And definitely, I agree that the power of the mantra, the repeated phrase, can really get you into an altered state. Oh, yeah. That's why so many religions use it. Even like Christianity. That's how I spoke in tongues. Like, Oh, you were saying a mantra or something before yeah, that? Yeah. They like ah. kept repeating the phrase, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Like, oh, over and over until it was weird. lightheaded. Yeah. That's another Whoa, story for another crazy. time. Um. So as you're going to bed, you can say that mantra to yourself continually until you either go to sleep or you go out of the body. He also said you can watch videos before bed, like flying videos, videos of space, videos of birds, things that suggest flight. Real connection between flight and out of body. Sometimes I think that's the only difference in their minds between an out-of-body experience and a lucid dream, is that in a Mm -hmm. lucid dream, you might just be walking around on the street but once you're, quote unquote, out of body, you're kind of sailing around. Yeah. Because sometimes they would mention lucid dreams. but Right. They, I, I'm not would, sure they, what the full distinction is there. Yeah. So it's not like they're hiding. They're not avoiding the term. They just think out of body experience is something different. It's somehow it's like how. slightly truer and more desirable. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. And you got that nice little silver kite string holding you. You can also read about others out-of-body experiences or your own journals. Mm-hmm. You can also grab a bunch of buddies, go hang out, go yeah. camping for the weekend and talk endlessly. Talk only about OBEs. <laughs> hey, Mike, how's your dog doing? No, only OBEs <laughs> at this table. Do you talk and think about them the whole time? Which, again, brings me back to like, oh my God, it's a bunch of people talking about their dreams nonstop. <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> wins for boringness. But as long as you get that in your head, he said that one time... With a weekend like that, he had five out-of-body experiences. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Five out-of-body experiences in one weekend. Amazing. Yeah. He said, you can set reminders on your phone to think about OBEs. You can put images in your room like the sky or yeah, and this the is, sky. This, <laughs> this is a technique that I've heard about in relation to lucid dreaming that you ah. kind of program yourself. So every time you flip a light switch, you ask, am I awake? Right. You know, or every time you see your watch, am I awake? Mm-hmm. Or you send a little reminder on your phone, am I awake? Because then mm. you just get your brain into this habit. Of asking. There's certain triggers that will make you say, yeah, am I awake? So then when you experience whatever that is in your dream, you'll be like, am I awake? Oh, I'm not. Right. I think that's the tip that Milo gave us years ago. Yeah. My and ex-boyfriend who could astral travel. Yeah. Or something like it. And off and on, I have tried to kind of do that but never in any like strong committed ways but i feel like that would be a really good entry point for me so i will attempt again yes i will too i will make mine hanging up ella's leash because i do that several times a day i don't know if i've done it in my dreams about flip light switches either so you think right so same deal with ella's leash so i think Fair enough. You can also try to stimulate your pineal gland. Yeah, a lot of talk about the pineal gland located in the kind of the middle of your cranium. Mm -hmm. You like go right between your ears 
halfway, there's your pineal gland. Kind of near the optic nerve. Yeah, I guess somehow it's kind of connected to optics, right? optic processing. And he said that could explain kind of its role in the third eye. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I've heard of the pineal gland going back hundreds of years as this kind of theorized location for the soul. Mm -hmm. And I just think of that as this kind of alchemical idea. You know, it just sounds so ancient out of... uh, currency and and i can believe that a gland was involved in you know giving you hallucinations or something yeah oh sure yeah Yeah. it's part of the brain so he said what you can do is put a finger about two feet from the front of your face i'm Mm -hmm. holding up my pointer finger and then bring the finger up 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 slowly above your head but don't move your head you're just moving your eyes to follow it until it kind of hurts carry his track and then finger and then you keep your eyes hold it for just there For a little bit, and it doesn't feel great. Yeah, it'll hurt. (laughs) But you can do that over and over. You can lose the finger at some point once you get it. And that can help build a vibrational state. Right. And this reminded me of the Self-Realization Fellowship. Because in their special meditation, you're supposed to, with your eyes closed, look up at your third eye, which feels exactly the same. Yeah, I feel this teaching at the IAC is fully compatible with the Self-Realization Fellowship. Mm. I think if they sat and talked with each other, they'd be like, oh, that's all right. We call it this. Oh, we call it this. Yep. And so they mentioned then Bob Monroe from the Monroe Institute. Mm-hmm. He had advocated picturing a moving light that you follow with your eyes that does kind of the same thing. And in the IAC, they have their VLO, which is essentially the same thing. But you've now got this picturing of the vibrational state moving through your body and this light going up and down your body. Always to do the same thing. So I asked him, since I wake up quite a bit during the night, and I usually don't remember it, I just see it on my Fitbit. But sometimes, now that I know that, sometimes I'll wake up and be like, oh, this is one of those times I'm going to see it on my Fitbit tomorrow. So since I know that I wake up a good 10 times a night, it's like, are those good times to do the velo if I'm cognizant enough to do it. And he said, and that's the best time. Yeah, he said, that's great. It It's uh, it's the perfect time for an OBE because you're at this good in-between spot in your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said another way to do it is as you're going to sleep, like set an alarm for 45 minutes and then that'll wake you up and you'll, oh, I'm up, oh, but I'm still tired. Yeah. And then that could be a good time to do a velo and perhaps get into this vibrational state. I feel 90% certain my alarm would go off and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's right, fuck that thing. And then I'd go to sleep far like- Never, I'm never gonna do the vibrational thing right now. I'm going back to bed. Why did I I set the alarm? Yeah, exactly. Being woken up by an alarm like pisses me off so much. I think I would be (laughs) mad. But if I, no, if I just wake up naturally and I'm already awake, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. Both of the other participants in the class were using this technique that we'd learned before Whereas you're laying down, you just keep your arm, like your forearm perpendicular, kind of raised up in the air. And then as you're starting to fall asleep, your arm will start falling. And then that can be your signal to like, oh, catch that and think, oh, this is a perfect time to raise my vibration and try to get into that state because I'm clearly falling asleep. I haven't needed to do that, but it seems useful. So then we did what is called the elongation technique. You are extending your body out. Because it helps you kind of tune into the fact that your astral body isn't connected to your physical body. And right. it can stretch and it can move. Right. So you you imagine your feet shooting out just another inch. Yeah. At first. 
I pictured someone like tugging on them, like actually pulling them out. And then they let you let them go back. Your body goes back to normal. Mm -hmm. You hold your body in uh, that position for a few seconds, and then you push them back out and hold that longer position for maybe a minute. Mm -hmm. You do this over and over, and then you can also do your head and shoulders, make them pull out so you're taller. And he said it's like kneading bread. Yeah, just slowly squishing your body out and then highlighting that disassociation between the psychosoma and the soma. Uh, and then you'll balloon out and inflate your whole body. Maybe you float up like a balloon. Oh, yeah. So he said, okay, and so imagine you can stretch in multiple dimensions. So imagine like you're stretching out lengthwise and then side to side and then up and down, kind of like a balloon. And when you think of balloons, what do you think of? And Carrie says, popping. <laughs> That's really thought I thought he was going for. Said, I thought he was going to say like, you pop and then you deflate or something. And he's so gentle. He's like, well, that too. <laughs> I was thinking of, and then Ross said, "Floating, floating." <laughs> said, yes, yeah, that's, that's what, what I was, was going for. But <laughs> Carrie's answer is just as good. So then, that can just naturally help you if you feel yourself expanding. Then you can easily picture yourself lifting up and off of your body, and you want to get to that floating state. That's your best OBE if right. you're up in the air. And he said this is a good time for retrocognitions, but most of the time that won't happen, but often people have that experience here. He said something about like how sometimes you'll actually stretch. Oh, yeah. What did that mean? Like you'll really I, be stretching your body? Or? I think he meant the psychosoma, but I wasn't clear either. I was like, am I going to come back taller? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <You're talking laughs> Do I have to change my driver's license? Yeah, I was confused. He's talking about some kind of misalignment, and I wasn't sure if that was happening in Nergo somatically or yeah. I'm just using words now. I don't yeah, know that if that was, was appropriate. <laughs> that was strange, though. Uh, so he turns off the lights, and we all get to it. How'd you do? It worked well for me. So I did the stretching. I felt someone like pull my feet and then pull my shoulders, and I would just kind of alternate that. And yeah, I could feel what felt like my soul stretching out to be just a hair bigger than hmm. my body. Cool. And then there was this one distinct moment, what felt like a sheet of paper being slid between my astral body and my real body. Just Whoa. like, yeah, this like very subtle, very slight differentiation between That's the cool. two. But then I kind of got excited and was like, here's how it starts, you know, and then I ended up just staying uh. in that state. But it was cool. I was able to pretty much stay what felt like floating by three quarters of an inch above my body. Oh, Something wow. like that. Yeah. That's great. It was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, Couldn't get further than that. And then I had this feeling like my hands must be like out in front of me like a bear, you know? That That's how like my hands felt. And I thought, but they can't be, right? I think they're on that mat. And oh, then, shoot. I thought and, of the mat. Yeah. Then I thought of the mat. One of my thumbs twitched. I felt the mat. And then boom, back in the, oh, you were totally, back in the body. You're totally escaping your body then. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. And didn't you say at one point he said something? Yeah. So then I like kept trying to do it. And I would get kind of like partway there. And then he said... He said something like, Come back. Now let's finish up the OBE experience. Mm. Something like that. And he meant do the last steps that take you into doing your OBE mm -hmm. if you're ready. I thought he meant let's come back to the room and 
let's all wiggle, wiggle our fingers and toes. So right. I start doing that and I'm like, oh, everyone's taking a while. Whew. And I'm like scratching my chin and scratching my hair and blah, blah, blah. And then when uh-huh. I realized like, oh, shit, oh, we're still Kima, in it. Kima, go ahead and do your OB. And I felt like I had been so noisy just oh, doing my yeah. everyday human activities. Well, I didn't hear you. Oh, good. Whew. But one other thing that happened was that as I was lifted up a little bit, I thought, I'll look down and see my body. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I couldn't immediately call to mind what I was Remember, wearing. yeah. Yeah, and then I was like, You want an accurate oh, picture. Right, yeah. How will I even know if I'm really out of my body, if I can't verify what I'm wearing? And I don't know, that got a little distracting. Yeah, you asked him about that later. And his response, again, made me feel like we're just talking about visualizing yep. things and not actual reality right it's like oh it doesn't matter you know like whatever you see maybe you're wearing pink today instead of the purple that you're wearing yeah and he said sometimes you'll just look like a blue blob not even a body which is fine but like you guys keep talking about like verifying the experiences and Mm -hmm. going into a room and seeing a caution cone but like it's okay if you don't even see your own body like that's a little confusing and it was weird he was saying like well the astral body can change anyway and i'm thinking but no you're talking about your body yeah, I'm your talking physical about the soma. body we're right. talking about the fucking soma right yeah but Weird. i don't know he said you can do some exercises to get like more visual clarity and i mean i guess like trying to think devil's advocate i guess the position would be like yeah when you're new to this maybe you're bad at seeing uh, you okay. get better at it and and then you have the uh then you can see that caution cone right then you can contact the somatic right <laughs> Yeah. So what about you? I was useless in this one. Oh, no. So, yeah, I was tired. And when we laid down, I would start doing the exercise, whatever he was mentioning, and, you know, did the exteriorization and started doing the elongating of the limbs. And that was nice. And then kind of elongated the head. So that was kind of working. But I would very quickly drift off and find myself starting to dream about other things. So I was... Oh, like drifting off like to sleep. Yeah, okay. like, but I was in that right state. I was in a good state for doing this, but I could never hold whatever exercise it was I was trying to do for long. So I'd start trying to do some velos and I would get the energy moving up and down a few times and then I'd be like, oh, why am I picturing this whole scenario? Oops, oh, shoot. Yeah. And I was glad that he would talk every now and then because that would snap me back and I'd think, oh, I didn't finish doing the last thing and now he's telling me to do this new thing. So I'd start to go back to the previous thing and try to do that and then I'd get lost again. So yeah, I was just too tired and I don't feel like I actually dropped off to sleep, but... I was like in that state pretty much the whole time where I just had very little control mm-hmm. over my thought mm-hmm. process. Okay. And so it felt like it was just 10, 15 minutes later when he called us all back again. I was like, oh, rats. I really didn't use that time well. Yeah, it was funny. You said like, how long has it been? It feels like 15 minutes. And he said an hour. And you were like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally weird. And at that point, we'd gone over. The class was now at like 645. It's supposed to go to 630. We mm-hmm. haven't even chatted much. But we did. We all talked about our different experiences. Yeah. The woman next to me, she was just very physically uncomfortable. Mm. So she had to work more on just kind of having an environment where she felt comfortable. Her body wasn't aching. And the guy, I think he said he didn't fall asleep. Oh, he did for a little while at the beginning. Definitely heard him snoring. Oh, right. He said he self-corrected. He heard himself Mm -hmm. snoring. Like, got himself together. Yeah, that guy, boy. Poor guy. He's almost like narcoleptic or something. Maybe. 
but mostly just, my gosh, it must suck if, like, this is the thing you want to do so bad and you keep falling asleep. Yeah, but he said it was a successful session. He Did said, he? Okay, good. Yeah, he was talking about some kind of small separation he was starting to feel from his body. Okay. Yeah, I remember Neil was telling us to watch out for the silver cord as well, that it's really strong when you're close to it, like it has extra elasticity, and was telling us that you have to kind of get out of the room, essentially, but oftentimes it'll it'll snap you back if you're still within the room and you think about it or something like that. That hmm. silver cord will pull you right back. Interesting. He also told us one thing you can experiment with is going to a float tank and doing some of these exercises, which made me a little nervous. It's like, don't please don't drown everyone. Interesting point. Yeah, but he said just with that kind of built-in weightlessness, I asked him if anyone on the International Space Station has played around with this technique because you're actually weightless. And he said, uh, yeah, I don't know. That would be really cool. But I have met an astronaut. I've talked to Edgar Mitchell. And he said that Edgar Mitchell just wasn't really into OBEs, but he was into a lot of other kind of psychic stuff. Right. He's into telepathy. And he had that experience that a bunch of astronauts have experienced where you go off of this planet and you have you know, a much broader view of life. Makes sense. And then he recommended something called the overview effect. Yes, and says it's on Vimeo, so we'll have to watch that. Yeah. So he told us also to stay lucid as much as possible outside the body. Keep asking yourself questions while you're in the experience, which, I don't know, I feel like that would take me out of it a bit. They should make their phrase, hang lucid. <laughs> Great. But I think that would take me out of it if I were floating and I and I did start to ask questions like wait is that really what I'm wearing I don't think that's what I'm wearing I feel like that would snap me back oh yeah yeah for yeah. sure tidy righty lefty lucid oh still thinking of them huh <laughs> I love lucid <laughs> see <laughs> it's fun <laughs> good 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 are you waiting for more yeah like the lucid and ethyl method <laughs> <laughs> well I guess that's it I'm gonna stop you <laughs> yeah so that was the end of cdp3 and we were talking about scheduling for the next one we already know we can't do cdp4 in two weeks uh-uh. so maybe we'll see you in a year <laughs> yeah maybe we're january recording this in october 2017 we're just hoping cdp4 is gonna happen yep we'll see dp that's it for our show our theme music is by brian keith dalton the lovely and talented creator of mr deity our show is produced and co-edited by Ian Kramer. Also lovely and talented. Our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash onrack. You find the pictures there. You find the articles we share. You find funny pictures. You find serious pictures. Come find it. And you can support this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash donate. Thank you to all our donors. You are our favorite people. After our families. Uh, and- okay. Okay, yeah, all right. Jeez. <laughs> I can see Carrie working there like, well, I don't know if I yeah, can yeah, sign on to that. some examples here. On iTunes, you can rate us. You can tell other people about us. They will find our show if you do that. Or on any platform where you find our show, like Stitcher. But if you want to leave a negative review, maybe write it in a Microsoft Word document and keep it on your computer. Or write it in Microsoft Paint. I almost said that, and then I was like, that doesn't make sense. It's right, and save save it as a a bitmap file. Yeah, there you go. Why not? There you go. And then maybe years later, someone will find it and be like, what is this thing they hated enough to do this? You could print it out and bury it deep beneath the earth, (laughs) and maybe future civilizations will find it. Yeah, and they'll be like, this was one crotchety motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) And remember... 
Oh, here comes L.A. Everybody, these are our helicopters. I <laughs> said, well, it's perfect. <laughs> of course. All right, well, this is... Oh, cool, 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 speaking cool. of which, for the Scientology live stream, let's have the homeopathy spray there. Oh, and, great. And make that one of the drinking games. Oh, okay. Like, you know, whenever they mention insane or right, insanity. Right, you know? Okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah, that'll keep us a little more sober. I realized I have a class at 3 p.m. and we're doing this drinking game till 2. Oh, no. <laughs> what kind of class are we talking about? It's a, it's a sketch comedy class, so oh, no. oh. hopefully they'd be cool. But anyway... Are we still on? Well, I turned us back on because I realized maybe there's some good audio in here. Who knows? Cool. Hey, have you checked out the Max Fun Store recently? We've got a bunch of cool new stuff. For Bubble, we've got a t-shirt, buttons, and more. Reading Glasses fans will love their new library book-inspired shirt. And if you're a fan of beef, check back Friday for the debut of our Beef and Dairy Network merch. We've got all that and more from a ton of Max Fun shows you love. So go check out what we've got and buy yourself something fun at maxfunstore.com. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.